Section 2 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 9, December 30, 1879. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tally Haas. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 9, December 30, 1879. The Brave Swiss Boy, Part 8. The Reward of Fidelity, begun in Number 1 of Harper's Young People, November 4. Walter met with a friendly reception from General de Bogey, a brave old warrior who had served under Napoleon and fought at Waterloo, where he had been severely wounded and had lost his right foot by a cannonball. His hair was gray and his countenance weather-beaten, but in spite of his age and infirmities, he enjoyed tolerably good health and was always in good humor. Having from long experience become a keen observer of those around him, it was not long before he recognized the merits of his new servant, to whom he soon became as much attached as his nephew had been. Walter had been about three months in the general's service, and it seemed to all appearance as if he was likely to become a permanency there when a letter arrived from Paris the reading of which suddenly changed the customary gaiety of the old man into the deepest gloom. "'This is a sad affair,' said he to Walter, who happened to be in the room at the time. "'My poor nephew!' "'Mr. Lanford?' "'What is the matter with him?' inquired Walter earnestly. "'He is ill, dangerously ill. Poor fellow. So the doctor informs me,' replied the general. "'You can read the letter yourself.' He seems to complain of being surrounded by strangers, with no one in the house that he can rely on. If I were not such an old cripple, I would go and help him to the best of my ability, for although he has led a thoughtless, reckless life, a more thorough-hearted gentleman does not live. Poor Adolf. I must go to him, sir, said Walter, suddenly, after hastily reading the letter, the perusal of which had driven all color from his cheeks. You? "'Why, it's not long since you left him. "'And what do you want to go back for?' inquired the general in surprise. "'Can you not guess, sir? "'I must go and nurse him. "'He must at least have one person near him to pay him some attention.' "'If you care for him so,' exclaimed the general, "'why did you leave his service?' "'This led Walter to explain to the old gentleman "'the reason which had compelled him to give up his situation.' and again to beg permission to act the part of nurse to his former master. A tear sparkled in the old man's eyes as the youth declared the attachment he had always cherished for Mr. Lamphond. "'Go to him, then,' said he. "'I cannot trust him to a more faithful attendant, and as soon as I can I will follow you and take my place with you by his bedside.' Poor Adolf! Had he only possessed firmness of character— and avoided bad company, he might have been well and strong today. But his unhappy weakness has brought him to the grave before his time, in spite of all my warnings and entreaties. As he has sowed, so he must reap. Ah, Walter, his fate is a terrible proof of the consequences of evil habits. But all regrets are useless now. Let us lose no time in giving what little help we can. Making all the necessary preparations for the journey without a moment's delay, Walter soon reached Paris, 
When he entered the chamber of Mr. Lafond, he was shocked at the change which a few short months had made in his appearance. It was evident that the doctor had rather disguised than exaggerated the danger he was in. The sunken eyes and withered face showed only too plainly that the space of time allotted to him on earth was but short. Walter sank on his knees by the bedside, and taking the pale and wasted hand in his, breathed a prayer that God might see fit to deal mercifully with a life yet so young, while the invalid smiled faintly and stroked the cheeks of the faithful attendant. "'Dear Walter, how good of you to come back,' murmured the invalid. "'I thought you would not leave me alone to die. I feared that your prediction would prove true, and therefore I did not wish you to go home. I wanted to have a friend with me at the last moment, which I feel cannot be far off now.' The faithful Switzer saw that Mr. Lafont too well knew the critical condition he was in to be deceived by any false hopes, and he therefore did everything in his power to make the last days of the dying man as free from pain and discomfort as possible. Who could tell what might be the effect, even at so late a period, of careful nursing and devoted attention? But all this thoughtful and loving care seemed in vain. The end is coming, said the invalid one evening, as the glowing rays of the evening sun streamed into his apartment. I shall never more look upon yonder glorious sun, or hear the gay singing of the birds. I have something to say to you, Walter, before I go. Do you see the black cabinet in the corner? I bequeath it to you with everything it contains, and hope with all my heart that it will help you on in the world as you deserve. Here is the key of my desk in which you will find my will, which confirms you in possession of the cabinet and all its contents. Now, give me your hand, dear boy. Let me look once more upon your honest face. May heaven bless you for all your kindness and devotion. Farewell. Walter bent over the face of the dying man and looked at him with deep emotion. He smiled and closed his eyes, but after laying in a quiet slumber for about an hour, he woke with a spasm, his head fell back, and the helpless victim died in the arms of his faithful servant. The long hours of the night were passed by Walter in weeping and prayer beside the corpse of the master to whose kindness he had owed so much. But when morning dawned, he roused himself from his grief and gave the directions that were necessary under the melancholy circumstances. It was a great relief to him that General de Bogey arrived toward evening to pay the last honors to his deceased nephew. Two days afterward, the funeral took place, and as the mortal remains were deposited in the family grave, Walter's tears flowed afresh as he thought of the many proofs of friendship he had received from his departed master. A day or two afterward, he was awakened from his sorrow by news from home. The letter was from neighbor Friar Chardet, who again thanked him for the money he had received for the sale of the cattle, praised him for the faithfulness and ability with which he had managed the business, and then went on to speak of Walter's father. The old man, he wrote, is in good health, but he feels lonely and longs for you to come back. If Wadi only were here, I should feel quite young again, he has said to me a hundred times. He sends you his love, and Sefi, who is still with me and is now a faithful servant, does the same. So goodbye, Walter. I think you now know what you had better do. Without any delay, Walter 
hastened to the general, showing him the letter, and told him he had decided to leave Paris and return home. The general used all his powers of persuasion, promises to regard the young mountaineer as his own son, but it was all of no use. Walter spoke so earnestly of his father's solitary home and the desire he felt to see his native mountains once more that the old gentleman had to reconcile himself to parting with him. Go home, then, he said. When the voice of duty calls, it is sinful to resist. But before you go, we must open my nephew's will. It will surprise me very much if there is nothing in it of importance to you. Unlocking the desk, the will was found sealed up as it had been left by Mr. Lafond. After opening it, the general read the document carefully through and laid it down on the table with an expression of disappointment. Poor fellow, he exclaimed. Death must have surprised him too suddenly, Walter, or he would certainly have left you a larger legacy. This is all he says about you. To Walter Herzl, my faithful and devoted servant, I bequeath the black cabinet in my bedroom with all its contents, and thank him sincerely for all his attention to me. That is the whole of it. But never mind, my young friend, the old general is still alive, and he will make good all that his nephew has forgotten. Walter shook his head. Thanks a thousand times, dear sir, but indeed I wish for nothing. My feet will carry me to my native valley, and once I am there, I can easily earn my living. I dare say there will be some little keepsake in the cabinet that I can take in memory of my poor master, and I want nothing more. Then search the cabinet at once. Where's the key? Here, said Walter, taking it from his pocket. Mr. Lafond gave me the cabinet shortly before his death and handed me the key at the same time. And have you never thought of opening it to see what it contained? No, replied Walter. It did not occur to me to do so, but I will go and see now. With these words, he left the room and went up to the apartment where the piece of furniture stood. In the various drawers were found the watch, ring, and jewelry his master had been accustomed to wear. As he viewed these tokens of regard, his eyes were bedewed with melancholy gratitude. Carefully placing the jewelry in a little box, he was about to close the cabinet again when his eye fell upon a drawer which he had omitted to open. Here, to his infinite surprise, he found a packet with the inscription in his late master's handwriting, The Reward of Fidelity, which, on opening, he found to contain banknotes for 100,000 francs. "'Well, what have you found?' inquired the general eagerly, when the half-bewildered youth returned. "'This watch and jewelry and a packet of banknotes,' replied Walter, laying them on the table. "'One hundred thousand francs!' exclaimed the old gentleman. "'This is something worth having. "'Why, that will be a fortune to you, and I'm now sorry that I did my nephew the injustice to think he had forgotten you. "'I wish you joy with all my heart.' "'For what do you wish me joy, sir?' "'For what? For the money,' said the general in surprise. "'But that is not for me,' said the Switzer, shaking his head. "'This watch and jewelry I will keep as long as I live in memory of my good master, "'but the money must have been left there by mistake, "'and I should feel like a thief if I were to take any of it.' "'The old general opened his eyes as wide as he could "'and stared in astonishment at the simplicity of the youth. "'I am afraid you are out of your mind,' said he. The will says, the black cabinet with all its contents. The banknotes were in it, and of course they are yours. And yet it must be a mistake. 
"'But I tell you, it is no mistake,' exclaimed the general impatiently. "'Look at the inscription. The reward of fidelity. "'To whom should that apply but to you? "'Put the money in your pocket, Walter, "'and let us have no more absurd doubts about it.' "'But the young man persisted in his refusal "'and pushed the packet away from him. "'It is too much,' said he. "'I cannot think of robbing you of such a large sum.' "'Well, then,' said the general,' "'greatly touched by such singular unselfishness. "'I must settle the business. "'If you won't take the money, I will take you. "'From this day, Walter, you are my son. "'Come to my heart. "'Old as it is, it beats warmly for fidelity and honesty. "'Thanks to God that he has given me such a son in my old age.' "'Walter stood as if rooted to the spot, "'but the old man drew him to his breast and embraced him warmly, "'till both—' found relief for their feelings in tears. "'But my father,' stammered the young man at last, "'my father is all alone at home.' "'Oh, we will start off to him at once, bag and baggage,' exclaimed the general. "'I know your fatherland well, and shall very soon feel myself more at home there than I am in France, where there is not a creature left to care for me. "'Yes, Walter, we will go to the glorious Bernus Oberland, and buy ground and build a house.' within view of your noble mountains, and live there with your father. He shall have cattle and goats to cheer his heart in his old age, and we will lead a happy life together as long as God spares us. Walter, in his happiness, could scarcely believe his ears, and thought the whole a splendid dream. But he soon found the reality. The general sold his property in France, and departed with his adopted son to Switzerland, where he carried out the intention he had so suddenly formed. Old Tony Herzl renewed his youth when he had his son once more beside him, and he and the general soon became fast friends. A year had scarcely passed ere a beautiful house was built near Maringen, and furnished with every comfort, while an ample garden surrounded by meadows in which cows and oxen fed added to the beauty of the scene. Walter's dream had become a reality, and everything around him was so much better than he had ever dared to hope that his heart overflowed with gratitude to God and to the benefactor who had done so much for him. Nor was his prosperity undeserved. Walter had not spent his time in idleness and sloth. He knew that the diligent hand maketh its owner rich, and he managed the land with so much energy and skill that he soon became renowned as one of the best farmers in the Oberland. The general and Tony assisted him with their counsel and help as far as they were able, and the old soldier soon experienced the beneficial influence of an active outdoor life and the change of air and scene. His pale cheeks grew once more ruddy with health, and he soon grew so active that he even forgot that his right foot lay buried in the fields of Waterloo. Thus the little family lived in happiness, enjoying the good wishes of all their neighbors and the gratitude of all who were in want, for they were always ready to relieve, out of their abundance, any who needed it. Mr. Seymour increased their happiness by visiting his friend Walter nearly every year, and rejoiced in his prosperity which God had bestowed upon him as a reward for his honesty and uprightness. The End End of Section 2 Recording by Tally Haas